Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Soccer Speakeasy. We have a special episode for you today. I sat down with Crew SC President Tim Bezmachenko in his office at Mafre Stadium just to talk a little shop coming up on the summer transfer window, which opens on July 7th, closes August 7th. My thanks already goes to Patrick Flaherty, who's back at the Dispatch Podcast Studio and at the controls of this fine program. He's piecing together a few audio clips to give all you people what you want. So lots of good stuff in this interview with Bez, who spoke with our columnist Mike A-Race for a story that you can read at Dispatch.com. I also posted it on our Columbus Crew SC Fans Facebook group. If you're not in that, go ahead and join. Post all of our content there, just in case you miss anything. And the story's also on Twitter from my account at Jacob underscore Myers underscore 25 and at Dispatch Alerts. Mike was able to get a little insight from Bez into how he, Technical Director Pat Onstead, and Coach Caleb Porter are approaching this upcoming window as well as kind of the future of the club as we all know, the stadium two years away from being open. And that was a topic that Bez and I touched on a little bit. We also talked a little bit about just, you know, how they are viewing this window. It was a little bit of what Bez told Mike, but trying to get specifically at, at what they're looking for, especially after a couple of weeks ago when Caleb Porter said either in this window or in the winter that they're looking to get a designated player that's a pocket winger that can play the central midfield role. And what that kind of means is like a Federico Iguan, plays the the CAM rule and Pedro plays, Pedro Santos that is, plays in those kind of pockets between the lines and isn't afraid to get in the middle of the field and and kind of distribute in the attacking third. So it wasn't anything too surprising. I think that was the position that the crew were always going to go after and I specifically asked Bez after the primary transfer window closed if they were looking to get one this summer and it was kind of what he said this time is that yeah they're you know they're looking for it but only if it's the right play because as he kind of told Mike is if you get two thirds of your designated players right, you're a really good team. If you only get one, you kind of failed. So they're making sure they get it right for sure and, and not being too hasty on making sure they add one now, which I think seems pretty smart. But we also discussed the new stadium as much as he could as of now and a few other key topics like a direct USL affiliate and Federico Iguain's injury also. So give it a listen after this intro. But first, just a quick recap of this past week. The crew tied New York City FC 2-2. It was the last game for goalkeeper Zach Steffen. I wrote a few tribute pieces about Steffen and what his last game was like. I hope you enjoyed those. If you got a chance to read them, I got some good feedback on that from those that enjoyed the story, which I greatly appreciated. If you haven't read those yet, you can find it on Dispatch.com. The headlines are how Zach Steffen experienced his final game with the black and gold. Then the other one is goalkeeper Zach Steffen owes part of his rise in soccer to back from his family. So check those out if you haven't yet. Then just yesterday, 
yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday. You should have it in your feed Thursday. Then just yesterday, I was able to independently confirm an earlier report in the day that Stefan will be loaned to Fortuna Dusseldorf of the German Bundesliga. The 24-year-old Stefan should have a pretty good chance, I would assume, to start there with their current goalkeeper having just turned 35 years old. Good for Stefan to kind of get in a good league and, and possibly get some games. That's always the most important thing. And he's still young, and I kind of touched on that a little bit. His soccer career is far, far from over. He's still trying to qualify for a work permit in the UK, which you would need to play in the Premier League. And that's mostly done for non-native-born players through having enough caps with their respective international team. So Stefan was always going to be loaned out from Manchester City. Not to mention their current goalkeeper at Man City is similar in age to Stefan, but the Bundesliga is certainly a good league for him. It's his first time in Europe and in Germany didn't go as planned, but he's pretty confident that he'll succeed this time. Right now, he, Will Trapp, and Jossi Zardes are currently with the national team training and getting ready for the Gold Cup. It's likely David Guzman and possibly Waylon Francis will be playing for Costa Rica as well in that tournament. So the crew could be without some bodies at at least possibly until mid-July. But another big storyline from that NYCFC game. It was first game since Federico Higuain went on the shelf with a torn ACL for the rest of the season. Just a terribly, terribly tough break for him and kind of a trend here this whole season. The crew have just been devastated by injury. At 34 and in the final year of his contract, you hope it's not the end of the line for Higuain, but no doubt that is a possibility. He said after last season that it just depends on how his body feels when he turns 35 in October, if he wants to continue playing or not. If he doesn't feel right, he said then he's okay with hanging it up. So with that and now the injury, it you know it definitely puts the front office and Iguain in a difficult position. But first and foremost, of course, you wish Iguain a healthy recovery. He's given a lot to the organization. But Pedro Santos played in his place and he did really, really well. I'll have a story on him for Thursday's paper and how inspired he's playing right now. I, I'm sure he feels like he has something to prove a little bit after, you know, I'm sure he heard some of the criticism from fans and and rightfully so, Caleb Porter said this season, and he's been bullish on Pedro Santos, but he understood some frustration with fans. But I mean, the guy has four goals and two assists, should be five goals after that disallowed one in DC was ruled by pro that it was incorrectly overturned. He's playing really, really well. And Caleb Porter said after the game that the health of Pedro's father, which Pedro missed the Minnesota game because of his father's health. So that might be a little bit of some inspiration and a reason he's playing his best soccer right now. So going into a three-week break now, the crew is 5-9-2 and and in 10th place. Certainly looked better last Saturday. And the crew has two massively important home games at the end of the month that Caleb Porter called must-wins. The next game is June 11th in the U.S. Open Cup against U.S. USL Championship League team, Pittsburgh Riverhounds. So that just about covers it, where the crew are at right now. I'll send you to my interview with crew president, Tim Bezbachenko, here on the Soccer Speakeasy. All right, so here at Mafre Stadium, Tim Bezbachenko, thanks for joining me. Just kind of, let's start off personally, professionally, your first season here. How are things kind of going midway through the year now? You know, they're going well organizationally. I think that given where the state of the franchise was last year without an owner in Columbus to where we are now, I think think it's truly remarkable. It's historic in a, in a lot, in every sense of the word from an organizational standpoint. I think that the Haslam's and the Edwards coming in and taking the reins over from previous ownership and the league allowing it and encouraging it bodes really 
well for the future of the league and for the city. I think the city, having grown up here but then left and been been away for a long period of time, it's gone through sort of a renaissance period where it's growing quickly. There's a lot. It's a destination city mm-hmm. now uh, versus a, as Alex Fisher always says, you know, sort of the comma Columbus comma uh, OH right is mm-hmm. is now you just you know, say from Columbus and you're proud of it. And I think that people recognize what we have to offer. And I think when people step up even more to save something, the relevancy of the team has taken a whole new um, meet level in meaning than it has the past. So what happened through that whole period is that a number of people left in the front office. And so we've had to spend the, the first sort of five months so far, and, and it's probably going to continue into the, into the summer of finding, you know, what level of expertise we still have here and then what we need to do in terms of, of filling out our executive team. And that that is a big part of what we're going to do and, and how we're going to succeed. And that's just on the business side and then on the soccer side, obviously. We started off strong. We certainly had a dip in form due to injuries and, and some of it probably having to do with, you know, the, the natural transition with a new coach and a new leadership team. And, I mean, you kind of touched on it there. What were some challenges that you identified when you kind of took this job? I mean, you went to Toronto, built it up, and you had a solid core here, but as far as like the structure inside this building in the front office, it was very much kind of having to build from the ground up again. What were some challenges that you kind of saw there and how do you think you've done so far with those? Yeah, I think the challenges in a lot of ways can also be the opportunities, right? And the opportunity here is that you had a team that has never won anything, but was close, right? It was a team that always and often sort of made it into the playoffs and then went on a run. And as a team with an identity, that played a certain way, but at the same time, maybe lacked a little bit of creativity, lacked a little of spontaneity, uh, an ability to get a result when they really needed to, or look to one or two players that could lift the team, which is what we we had in Toronto and what you see some of the, the other teams, Atlanta and LAFC, have now. So there's the opportunity, right? Is you have a good core and and a good identity for to build from. The question is is whether or not. Caleb and myself and Pat Onstead want to continue in in the same mold. I think that the outcome of and, and the way that the, the soccer looks is similar in terms of the values of, of valuing the possession. But I think the process of how we're going to get there is going to be different. And I think every coach is going to have a different way of, of going about how to get to that look and that way of playing. And so that's what we're, we're seeing now is, is Caleb's process is going to be a little different. And and, and and players, some players are going to respond to it, some aren't. And so the challenge now is one of injuries, which you have every year, but, but no one's ever had two DPs or two players that have been DPs in one season go down. And you have to respond. And then obviously losing a goalkeeper mid-year is something we knew, but you also expect certain players in your team to step up and fill all those holes. Mm-hmm. So we're currently evaluating uh, those challenges, but it's, for every challenge, again, it's an opportunity for a player to step in. It's an opportunity for players to embrace the style and philosophies of Caleb Porter. It's people to embrace the culture that we're setting from the front office. And if we do that, which we will, which certainly some people will, whether or not they're the players in this locker room or players next year, that's the opportunity for this this team to take a giant leap forward toward becoming um, what's going to re- represent this club in this new era. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that tribute you guys had with Zach, I, th- I thought was really well done. I mean, what have you 
you kind of learn about Zach and your short time here, just about the type of character, type of player he is? Oh, I can't say enough good things about him. He's been professional. He's been optimistic. He's been mature. He's been a leader. He's been everything that you're looking for in a, in a goalkeeper. And, and I know a few years ago when I spoke to Greg about that acquisition, it was one that he knew was going to take a few years because the way Zach, when he returned from, from Germany, from Freiburg, he was... Um, you know, I think that experience is hard on someone. But it was probably what he needed at that time because from those failures, if you even want to call it that, you, you have the opportunity to learn. And not everybody takes those lessons and, and, and grows from it, but he clearly did. I think the structure that, that this club provided helped him. And then he's clearly grown from it and, and now has a tremendous opportunity to not just be the national team's goalkeeper for the foreseeable future, but but then apply his trade and prove that he can do it on an international stage week in, week out with the club team. So super excited about him. And, and obviously the tribute to him on Saturday was very well done from our marketing team and our game operations team and, and in terms of the frame that, that, that I was able to give to uh, had the opportunity and, and to give to Zach before the game just showing all the, the, the moments the big moments that he was a part of the penalty kicks uh, in the shootouts that everyone all of our fans know and love it's special and I, and I think it's it's what this club needs to be about going forward which is recognizing achievements and also helping people get to the next stage of their career and, and especially if that's players you can't always hold people back but let's let's applaud them for what they've done at the club while they've been here and then hopefully they'll 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 come back uh, whether or not as, as players or as fans in the future and help us help remain part of the family yeah and he he said he's wanted to come back and i think he's pretty excited about the stadium whenever that opens up as well and i mean i, I think his family really appreciate that tribute too but when you do have those players leave obviously you have to have a line of succession and i mean you did that at toronto it's difficult when you mm-hmm. come in here in december the season's starting just to try to start that up right away but how are you trying to balance being smart and also aggressive at the same time because i mean the ownership here is willing to go get players and and you were willing to go get players at Toronto. So how are you mm. trying to just balance being smart and aggressive? I think it's for the first step is to understand what we're dealing with, what we have now. And I'm still learning about this team and which one, which which players, how many of the players in the team want to be a part of what, we're, what we have going forward, right? They've been through a lot over the last 18 months. They did more than I think people even expected of them as a team in terms of, of staying focused amidst uh, the noise and chaos of what was happening around the club. And I feel that took a toll, you know, to be honest on some of the the players and their ability to now that we're saved really to rise up and play at that level week in week out Uh, certainly once we've seen when we've had some injuries uh, and, and seeing who can step up but we can't forget that we we really lost an off season. So myself and Caleb didn't start in January. And Pat was obviously he was um, he was here the entire time, but you don't really have the direction that you have from a from a president or GM or a coach if you're not in it day in and day out. And so what we need to do is is recognize that but also be ready to work quicker, smarter, faster to make up for that this summer and in January. And so to answer your question about how you balance it. You have to create the opportunities by being active, gathering information. You have to create processes in place that allow you to uh, have a better chance of 
of acquiring players that assimilate quicker. You have to, we, we obviously hired, and part of that would be hiring a scouting director, which we did, putting in the various stages of scouting that include reports and watching games and getting feedback and doing the due diligence on every single player, which is something, frankly, this club, this club has never had. They didn't really, I mean, there's we have a number of scouts, but looking at what we have, it's not as, as robust as I would like in terms of having the information on a daily basis that continues to grow and grow so that you're at a point when you're acquiring players you, you have a, a full 360 understanding of who this player is. And in order for us to compete with some of the biggest spenders in the league, we have to have one of the best scouting departments in the league. There's just no other way around it. And we can use the resources that we have here to do that and to build that. And, and that's going to take that's going to take a little bit of time to really get it into the shape that I want to see it, but we're on our way. And how much time, not to put a timeline on it, but how much time does it take to build out a robust staff? And, and what does that kind of look like under, under Neil, under you guys? Yeah. So obviously, technical director and Pat Ons that was coming from off the field, you know, was a formerly an assistant coach. So Pat is learning the roster and budget guidelines and all the salary cap rules, and he has a really very good understanding of them. But working through them on a daily basis is a little bit different. So that's something that that I'm I'm very hands on with. So that's myself and Pat working together. We're bringing on a, a director of player personnel who's going to also manage the salary cap on a day to day basis, and then obviously in conjunction with with Zach Cruz, who's the director of team operations, right? So he's the person who's liaisoning between myself and Pat and Caleb on a daily basis, given that we're in two locations. On top of that, we need to build an analytics department and a scouting department. And so... Neil is running our scouting department and what that will consist of would be whether or not it's a group of ground scouts or video scouts that will watch games and complete reports based on a template for each position that we develop. And that again, so then you have to come up with a template. So what do you want a, you know, a defensive midfielder number six to look like? And there's a, you know, number six who's a good distributor and a number six who's a, who's, who's a ball winning number six, right? And so what that template, how is that different? And then how do you want your scouts to complete that template, right? Then you talk about the analytics department and um, that being, you know, a an area that is growing, an area that we, we must have because it can flag things early that you're seeing internationally in a player that maybe subjective scouting with scouts on the ground don't see. Maybe you're not able to go and visit certain countries that are all the way around the world so frequently frequently so you can use the data to to see and, and, and flag a few players. You can use the analytics to evaluate your opponent. You can use the analytics to evaluate your team. So we have to analyze various service providers for all the data that, that is now available and decide what is the most efficient use of our resources and what information we can use to actually help us win. And when, when I say win, it's win on the field, but also win as in acquiring good players and maybe saying no to ones that we shouldn't. Yeah, and so is that difficult to kind of do right now when it's not in place? And like, do you want this at the start of 2020, analytics, everything, you want all this to be in place or is it just kind of a fluid process? Yeah, there's not a set date. I, I, I do think we have no time to spare. I think we can get, we're very close to getting the scouting department to a place where um, it'll start to produce in the way that that's going to produce some names and, and some, some quality targets. That said, you're always improving it, right? You're always looking to improve the way that you scout players and, and the way that you're hiring scouts. And, you know, some scouts will leave and you have to hire new scouts. So I would say in the next, you know, right now we're in a, we're in a very good place, but I would think it's going to take another few months before we're 
we're at a, a place that I'm super comfortable with. And then, and then in terms of the analytics, that's probably going to take another six months until probably January to get it to a place where we're getting the information in a, in a format that we can digest it very quickly, synthesize it, and then use it to make decisions. And switching topics a little bit, as far as the stadium is concerned and this site as well, are there any updates you're able to provide in terms of uh, breaking ground day or the status of this site at the fairgrounds being mm-hmm. turned into the, the complex and the practice field whatnot? You know, we don't have any specific dates yet. It's still still TBD, but we're thinking late summer, early fall for groundbreaking on the new stadium. Needs some st- some approvals, regulatory and city and county. Um, but very optimistic uh, mm-hmm. that we, that those will get done. Very excited about that project, and that is going to change, you know, the course of, of the trajectory of this club forever, as everyone knows. But there's going to be so many just ancillary positive consequences to this that that you can't even approximate and you can't guess about in terms of the culture that this is this team's gonna the culture change that the fans are gonna go through you know now in in the new stadium it's not gonna be just about tailgating which is great and I know a lot of our fans like it but it's gonna be about community of coming together and, and maybe meeting at a pub and walking down in the march to the match to the stadium and and maybe more of a an experience outside in the plaza out of, of the stadium where you're gonna do sort of a tailgating type experience it's gonna be you know it's gonna be a stadium that the noise stays inside because we'll have it covered in some way with a maybe not a roof but more of a canopy all around the stadium. So really excited what the, the new stadium is going to be able to provide this club and it's right around the corner. I can see how many things just kind of race through your mind when you start to think mm-hmm. about the stadium. and everything. So many different directions you yeah. can go. <laughs> I could talk forever. Another thing that could kind of change the trajectory of the organization is a direct USL affiliate. And I know you had that Toronto, and, and Caleb has certainly talked about how much of a benefit that was in Portland and how I believe you can kind of you can like bypass the draft and sign guys directly to the USL affiliate. Is that true within the league rules? You can't bypass. Bypass is a strong word. But you can, you can sign players directly to your USL team, especially international players, that really allow you to discover additional players. So you have a discovery list and then the USL team kind of provides an ability to discover more players. When I say discover, I, I say it with a capital D because there's actually a list called the discovery list that you have to give the lit, the league uh, that have the names of the players that you're looking to acquire. So you have a limited number that you can put on this list, but the USL provides uh, another number of set of players that you can have. You cannot, though, bypass the draft okay. through USL. So a player can leave school early and then sign with the USL team. If that were the case, he could go and play with the USL team, but if he ever were to sign an MLS contract for any team or that team, he would actually have to enter through either waivers or some other process. Okay. So, so bypass is a strong word, but you can certainly use the USL team to grow your first team roster and to test players and to trial players and to uh, build a culture of, about learning and a system that you're trying to put in play. You can put into place. You can you can bring back players from injury. The return to play protocol is faster when you have a USL team. You know, we don't have to... The cost is lower in terms of, of, of loaning players down, right? You don't have to send them to Birmingham or to Connecticut or to Richmond or Indianapolis like we've done this year. They literally just go one field over and they're training and the first team coach still gets to see them. So there's so many benefits it can provide. At the same time, it is an an entirely separate professional soccer team that you have to run. There are game event staff, there is marketing, there is social media, there's communications, and it requires requires us to go in with open eyes uh, and, and understanding that it, it's going to, it, there's a significant cost with the USL team. Uh, and we just got to make sure we do it at the right time. Yeah. So we're, on the, we're ready. 
as far as the prioritization of that, it's something you guys really want to do as far as the financial commitment. It's still very fluid. Yeah, yeah. I think, look, the financial, I, I think if, if, if we feel like it's going to put us at the top of the league in terms of player development, we will do it. So, but it's it's just a matter of, I think if we do it too early, it could actually set us back because we'll have too many, too many things we're focusing on. Okay. Um, we need to stay laser focused on getting the first team to a place that is competing for trophies and not just making the playoffs, but is competing in multiple competitions. And, you know, that, that'll take some time. Then we also need to think about the long term, which is more three to five years of how are we going to develop players. And the USL team provides sort of filling in that gap from the academy to the first team. And so we'll need to put that into place, but we can't. The priority right now is, is, is helping Caleb, and especially during through this transition as a club. And we don't want to take the, the focus off that priority. Yeah, looking ahead, about what three weeks, maybe a month until the summer transfer window. Do you enjoy those windows, and is it the in between that's a little difficult? And uh, yeah, I, I mean, there there are pros and cons of every period in the season. Um, I, I like the windows because I'm less restricted, and I don't like constraints on myself. So I'm allowed to do what I want to do, which is build a roster and make changes. If, if I see it. So right now we're in this period where you're not allowed to do it and opportunities come your way and you can't act. And that's frustrating. But the rules are there in, in place for a reason. It probably helps helps you think differently during the, these periods where you, when you know you can't acquire players, so you can think longer term. And so in some ways that's healthy. But no, it you know, I would always like less rules because it's, you know, I think we're put in place to do a job. And to the extent that, that we can have fewer rules and, and simpler guidelines, I think it's a, it would be a great thing. And how much did just the Federico Iguain injury kind of mm. affect you guys going to the summer transfer window? And obviously it's difficult to replace a guy. You can't put kind of a stopgap on that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, 34, end of contract, I mean, how much does that kind of affect things too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, he's 34 years old, so you knew that at some point Pipa wasn't. At some point, as I told him, and we all know. Uh, he knows it, too. He said that. At you're the, like, yeah. yeah. What he, is, said, he said that after he uh, re-signed an extension last year. He said, like, if my body doesn't feel right at 35, I'm okay with stepping away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had conversations, you know, uh, one-on-ones just saying, look, it's not your head or my head that decides. It's, it's, your, it's your legs. Your body decides when, when, when it goes. And sometimes it's not even your decision if another person has a bad tackle. Another player comes in, and he could be 34, he could be 24, and, he, and that still that play still causes his ACL to, to rupture. So, unfortunately, it's it's at a time in his career where he'll have to see how he recovers and how quickly it recovers. But it's it's it, there's no two ways about it that he's been integral to this club's success or the success that this club has had. So you can't ignore the usage rate that he's had on the field, the influence that he's had in chance creation, right? And so it's not just something that we want to replace a number. 10 because he's been with the club for so long so he's done so much he's connected in so many different ways that it's going to shape the identity of the team going forward so what we want to do is evaluate right now what the team is is without him and certainly that's a collaborative effort between myself and Caleb and Pat and, and the rest of the staff but it certainly you know it, it forces us to, to accelerate right some of the plans for perhaps if we were not going to sign you know Iguain next year right so he was at the end of his contract and we were we were obviously talking about about you know already starting to think about what would be happen what would happen next year and so 
we don't know what that what that will be, but we're certainly exploring that right now. And does it depend on his recovery too, how he kind of feels? And I'm assuming those are conversations you, you'll have him throughout that process. Yeah, I just think that you always have to have multiple irons in the fire. So you go down this avenue where you have to you have to assume uh, that he will get healthy and that he will be back because he hasn't even had surgery yet. So it's just too early to tell what is in his mind and his decision as a player. The second avenue is you have to assume that he's not going to be back. And just like any player, what happens if they're not back or if they're injured or if an opportunity to sell a player comes along, you have to be ready for that. And, and obviously the probability of that is very high at this point, um, given that this is a significant injury. Then there's the third, which is what type of limited role he can have you know, in the meantime. And what are the other roles that we're looking at in other positions? But, but you just have to be ready for all these these options and it's it you know it's the challenging part of the job but it's also the fun part of the job is these thunderbolts that are thrown into your your planning uh, and you have to be ready for them and so i believe there are three games until that window opens and some u.s open cup games as well how much will those affect what you do and where, where do you just see kind of needs that you're looking to address right now yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you want to look at uh, over a wide period of time as you're evaluating your team. But, you know, your most recent performances are probably the best indicator of, of where the team is. So so we will look at these games coming up as, as to help guide us in what we need this summer. But at the same time, we really have to keep our eye on both this summer and also next year for a number of reasons, just in terms of how we started this, this campaign, where we're at as a club through this transition. But just for Iguain as an example, we do have a lot of information and data on when he has not played in the past because each year there was various times when you know people wasn't available to us so we have a good idea of what the team needs even without him but knowing that he's going to be out for a significant period of time could can certainly impact the you know our decision making and just for people like myself who are kind of getting used to the roster rules whatnot mm-hmm. and for our listeners as well Right now, Milton is a young designated player, and I believe is that until he's 24, so through the Correct. age 23. 23 and under, yep. So until that point, he has to occupy a DP spot. No, so okay. he, he's L, any player who's 23 and under can qualify as young DP. He's only a DP so long as the acquisition fee and all costs associated with the player exceed the threshold of of the maximum charge, which is five hundred thirty thousand this year. So next year there'll be a decision where theoretically Milton, if we spread the amortization of his transfer fee over multiple years, there's a chance that it would dip below the threshold of DP, or maybe it'll fit into the TAM category. So or it'll be neither. And so Milton, there's a good chance that he will neither be given his the transfer fee and and his salary level that he would be just a salary cap player. Because okay. A lot of the fees associated with Millen are associated with his transfer fee. Okay. And then for a guy like Pedro, if you're going to convert him to a TAM player, you would then need to simultaneously add a DP at that time, correct? If you are converting a DP to a TAM player, it has to be in conjunction with acquiring another DP. Okay. Unless the player that's being converted is just signing a new contract. Okay. So if Pedro signs a new contract, whatever that is, then it doesn't necessarily have to come with any sort of new DP. It's just when you're literally converting a player who's under the same contract, who's financially remaining the exact same situation, you're just changing their player category, which is what we did with Pipa two weeks ago. That that has to come with some new DP. DP on your team or a new like Giassi becoming a DP and he wasn't before. Right. So going that didn't that wasn't that simple. I know you're trying to get yeah, no, I, but it's it's actually just confusing. Yeah, yeah. 
So going forward, a couple more for you. It's club five, nine, and two right now. How do you kind of just tell fans what not to be patient in terms of not, you know, years down the line we're going to have a contender? Mm-hmm. Because as you said, there's pieces now. But be patient in the terms of it just takes a time with the new coaching staff, whatnot, while also maybe wanting to win now because the East is pretty open and mm-hmm. make a postseason. Yeah, what I would say is is MLS is, is an interesting league and it's a fun league to follow because it's so competitive. It's the most competitive league in the world. You don't have a Real Madrid, Barcelona monopoly like they do in Spain or Bayern Munich, Dortmund like they do in Germany or Man City completely monopolizing the EPL right now, right? It's any team can beat any team on any given day, home or away. And so you are always within three games of the playoff line. So obviously we've dropped below, but we're going to fight like hell. And we're going to we're going to look at opportunities that come our way this summer to improve. Like we're not just by no means throwing in the towel. I think that we there's a lot to, to work on or work from and develop and evolve from last game against New York City that I think we should have won. I think everybody uh, who saw that game knows that we, there's an opportunity for that to take three points in that game. So we're doing everything we can to build this roster now and to start improving. What I don't want to promise, though, is that we're going to just mortgage the future to satisfy everybody's desires once and desires right now. This city and these fans deserve a contender that's going to reward them for everything that they did to save this team. And we're also building momentum toward this new this new era of the club that we haven't really officially in every way, I would say, entered because the product, you know, the stadium we're still in, the training ground we're still in, you know, the roster is still a roster that has been together for a long time, but there's a lot that they still want to accomplish. So we'll see how hungry they are over the next 18 matches. And last one for you in your perfect 2021 vision, assuming the stadium is fully ready to open at the beginning of that year. Do you envision it's the best stadium in MLS. We have one of the best, if not the best rosters, and maybe kind of make a big splash like DC did with their new stadium, bring in a Rooney and things like that. Just what's your whole yeah. kind of vision? I know that that's what you want me to say, but uh, <laughs> one, there's just zero chance we're going to be opening it at the beginning of 2021, so that's just not going to that's not, that it'll happen in the middle of the season if you Like know, Minnesota or something um, like that? Yet not even, Minnesota was in May, right? So we're going to be in July in the summer, probably July of 2021 at the earliest. So the question is, is do you go out and make a big splash with a name like DC did if, if an opportunity comes? But there's only Wayne, one Wayne Rooney, and he'll probably be, what, 36 by then? I don't think we'll be getting Wayne Rooney. But there will be other Wayne Rooney's or other those other type players that are available. We'll have to make a decision if it's the best thing for this club. I, I would lean more toward building through young, exciting players that you could potentially not only help you win trophies, but then you could sell on. I do believe that you should, you know, some of your core players should be domestics from the U.S. that represent maybe the United States. So that would be something that I'd love to see. But it's just too early to tell from what's going to happen in 2021. But we're certainly going to build toward that. Yeah, cool. Thanks for the time, Bez. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Soccer Speakeasy. I hope you liked that interview with Tim Bezbachenko. Hope to kind of do more of this stuff as the course of the season kind of goes along. Thanks again to Patrick Flaherty for piecing all this together. Be sure to continue to follow all our crew coverage and everything else our great, talented reporters do here at the Columbus Dispatch. If you're not already, please consider being a digital and print subscriber. We try to do our best to bring good content to you all. And and I think we do a pretty good job of that. But thanks again for listening. If you have any feedback for this episode, please feel free to subscribe and rate us and review us on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts. I guess they're getting rid of iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts and, and this one as well. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next time.